It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. One week from tax season being completely over, and I am going to be a free man at last. Like you, many of you guys probably know, I, by day I am a fee-only wealth manager working on the south side of Atlanta, and um, I do just enough tax returns to drive me crazy about this time of the year. But nonetheless, we're still here keeping you up to date on what you need to be doing with your finances. And what we're going to focus on today is doing really a first quarter recap, going back and looking at the performance of first quarter. I know I've been knee-deep in it because we've been working on trying to get first quarter reports out to all of our clients as well. And um, I, I think it's time to kind of look back and see how things are. And then I've got a breath of hope that um, a, a real popular economist out there has come out with his um, Monday morning forecast for what we can expect out of the remainder of 2008. And I think that's kind of interesting to go in and look at what Brian Westbury has um, put out there. Uh, so we're going to do that. And then the last thing I want to do is there's a um, – I've been noticing a trend. I've been getting some emails from as well as some calls from listeners who have been asking me about some strategies they've been recommended by other advisors, and I want to caution you about some things. So I'm going to throw in some um, some some key signals if somebody's trying to sell you on a product. Um, you know what what to look for with with a few of these really risky strategies that I'm starting to see a trend in, and I, I just want to make sure that um, I bring that to your attention as well. If you do want to go check out show notes, you can go to moneyguy.com. That's moneyguy.com. Um, you can also um, go email Brian. You can email me, the host Brian Preston. That's Brian B R I A N at moneyguy.net. I know that's a little confusing that we are moneyguy.com for the website, and then the email address is moneyguy.net, but um, keep it straight, and I think we'll be all right with that. You can also subscribe to the Wealth Report. That's our quarterly newsletter. It goes out to my wealth management clients free of charge, but then I do make it available to my Money Guy listeners so that you can keep up on what's going on out there in the financial world as well. So let's jump right in and talk about first quarter of 2008. The first thing I think we all know, and this is pretty easy to understand, was that this is the worst quarter for the U.S. stock market and the U.S. economy in the last five and a half years. So we had a pretty good run there since really about October of 2002, we have been booming out there in the financial market. So if you haven't been making making money out there since October of 2002, you've missed the party, it seems like, a little bit. Volatility in the markets reached levels not seen since 1934, with the S&P 500 moving more than 1% and 51% of the trading days in the first quarter. That's, that's unbelievable. When I saw that stat, that's amazing how much volatility we have out there because that means we're moving by 1% or more. Those are big swings in the market on 51% of the, the trading days in the first quarter. That That is a lot of volatility. Talking about a yo-yo. I always try to explain to you guys when I'm talking about the stock market and equity investing that you got to, if you're looking for a good visual of what that experience is going to feel like, imagine that you are um, a world-class yo-yo guy, meaning you actually have that um, 
dunking yo-yo and you're throwing it up and down and you're walking up a mountain. Sure, you got a lot of volatility going up and down constantly, but if you notice as you're walking up the mountain, you look back and even though you had all that volatility going up and down, you're going to a higher place. And that's exactly how equity equity investing works is that sure you got a lot of volatility up and down but hopefully over the long term you're walking up that mountain and, and ending up in a much higher place getting into the actual specifics of how the the different stock markets performed let's first jump on um the, probably the most popular but the least um, accurate if you're trying to get a broad view of the markets is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is only made up of 30 stocks. It finished the quarter down 7.6%, and it's down 13% since October. So that's a pretty big swing. And the S&P 500, that's what I'd prefer us to look at. I think that's a much better um, uh, indicator to go look and see how the broad-based market is doing, because that's the 500 biggest companies in the United States. The S&P 500 which is a much broader measure of the stock market's performance, was actually down 9.9% for the quarter. That's just one quarter it's down 9.9%, and it's down 16% from October. And then as you would expect in down markets, riskier asset classes like the tech-heavy NASDAQ was down as much um, much more than the, the Dow Jones and S&P 500, with the NASDAQ down 20% since October. So kind of interesting to look at those numbers and we're also getting into that that discussion at this point. Now that we've had these down markets, um, a lot of you are probably going, "Okay, so are we in the dreaded R word?" And what is that dreaded R word? It's the recession. So we're trying to figure out if we're in a recession or not. And if you go ask the media, they of course say yes because right now it's gotten to the point where fear sells much easier than good news. So you ask the media, we're definitely in a recession. If you ask Wall Street. You know, most people on Wall Street are, you know, yeah, probably we might be in a recession. Then you ask the government, even though this is starting to melt, actually. we put, I've got this in my write-up, but it is starting to melt because that's what happened with the market last week. But if you ask the government up until last week, they would have given you, no, we're not in a recession. Don't ask that question again. We're not in a recession. Next question. But if you notice, um, Bernanke last week came out after we had a few good trading days out there. Bernanke did come back. Um, last week and said, who knows, maybe we are in a recession. So that's the first crack in the front that the government's putting up on, on where we are. So, And nobody's really going to know, because let's, let's talk about what's important to understand with a recession and putting that in perspective and to focus your attention on what you sh- is truly important, which is your long-term financial peace of mind and financial independence that comes from just doing what you're supposed to. In the grand scheme of of your life as a financial investor, this is all noise. Um, and, and that gets back, I know I keep coming back to that analogy of the, using the yo-yo, the dunking yo-yo, going up and down, walking up the mountain, but it really is. If you look and think about what it looks like to be an investor over 20, 25, 30, 40 years, you're going to notice that you look at the numbers and it looks like, man, You'd have to be a fool not to be investing because if I could have invested that money back 30 years ago and now what the stock market's worth, I'd be rich. Well, the same thing's going to happen when, when our children or our grandchildren look in the, in the future. They look back, they're going to go, man, if only you know, Pops had put a little bit more money or, 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 or Mima had put a little bit more money in the stock market, we would be on easy street these days. It's the same thing because you have to put... The, the economy in perspective. I'm going to give you some points in a second, but let's first talk about what is a recession. Um, and I think you need to kind of understand what a recession is. In simplest terms, a recession is a, a decline 
and the country's, and I'm going to use an economic term here, gross domestic product over two consecutive quarters or a total of six months. Now, what's GDP, gross domestic product? That's that's the sum of you know, your services, your products, it's pretty much everything the country is producing, uh, an, an econo- a, con- a country's economy is producing, including even government spending. Um, you do, um, you, you add in the exports and then you take out imports when you're doing that calculation. And that kind of gives you a kind of a, a looking through, it gives you a spot check of how big the economy is for a country. And, and what you need for a recession is you need that GDP to fall back for two consecutive quarters. Now here's the interesting thing about recessions. Is you only know if you're in a recession in hindsight. Recessions are, in, um, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those things that you can you can speculate it on all day long, but you really don't know until you're already in the middle of it, or even possibly, hopefully, working your way through it. Um, and and in my opinion, recessions are just a natural component uh, of a, of a country's ability to sustain long term growth. And the way the market self-correct corrects itself, you got to have some down periods so that we can get to a healthier valuation level to go to that next level of growth. It's no different. Let, let me put this in perspective. If you're a business owner, and this is not a great analogy, but I just want you to notice if you're looking at the, the way economies grow, the way businesses grow, and everything else, you go through cycles. And it's not uncommon if you're like a small business owner that you'll go through a cycle where you have a run-up, but then you do a lot of investments and other things into the company, and you watch your your, your profitability drop for a little bit, but then you go to the next level. Um, is because you're, you're investing for the future. Well, recessions are kind of a way of cleansing out the excesses in the market, getting you ready for the next level to run up in, in, in the market. Let's talk about some historical numbers. Since 1900, the average economic expansion has lasted 45 months, while the average recession has lasted 14 months. Put that in perspective. Based upon analysis done by Crandall Pearson Company, the U.S. stock market is down 22% of the time since 1950 over a one-year period, or roughly you can count on the market being down two out of every 10 years on a historical basis. And and I, I know I've used this analogy in the past, but you think about Las Vegas. Atlantic City or wherever, any big um, gambling community, you see these um, huge, huge billion-dollar casinos that they have built. And how have they built those casinos? They built those casinos with what's known as a house edge, meaning that when you go play slot machines, blackjack, craps, um, or anything else out there, the casino has a built-in edge that they're going to win more money than you the majority of the time, statistically speaking. Well, their edge you know, can range from, you know, 1, 2, 3, all the way up to 10 to 15, 20%, depending upon which one of the sucker games you're playing. Um, and, and what's interesting is they've built these billion-dollar casinos based upon that slight edge over you. Well, here I, I just told you, looking at the numbers, if you just bought and held on to the, the, the index, the, the stock market, the S&P 500, you would have done very, very well because about 70, what was the number I had? I think it's, um, oh, I'm, I'm losing my place here. But it's only down 22% of the time since 1950. That's a huge, huge house edge for you, the average investor. So keep that in perspective, that if you can just keep your head about, you keep a level mind about the long-term viability of the market, not let your emotions 
get a hold of you. You're going to be fine during this process. This is noise. Uh, and, I, and I ask myself, this is a point for you to look and say, how have I held up during this um, downturn in the economy? You know, that we've had the, the, our first quarter was not a great quarter. We actually started on a downward side um, starting last, at the end of 2007, the last quarter of 2007. So how are you holding up? Uh, like I said, I've been knee-deep in working through quarterly reports, and I think you ought to keep these numbers in perspective. I've told you the S&P 500 is down 9.9% for the first quarter. What I've noticed when I've do, been doing these quarterly reports, my retired clients are down somewhere between 2, 2% to 4%. My um, not retired but still getting closer to retirement clients are down somewhere between 4 to a five percent, and then my young investors—you know, these are the people in their late twenties, thirties. Um, a lot of them are down somewhere between the four to six percent range. So I'd ask yourself: go look at your performance, see how you're handling this, because what you're trying to do when you're in these these downward market periods, where there's a lot of pressure out there and there's a lot of emotion, the media makes you feel like the sky is falling lightly. There, you're trying to just. Grin and bear it and make it through the process because if you can, just like things get overbought and that's what pushes these um, these markets to dramatic levels where the valuations look very unrealistic, the, the exact opposite happens on the downside. As things get oversold, and that's why you do see when the markets recover, it's typically a pop. And I'm going to get into that in a minute because I want to go over some positive news that's out there. Is um, Now, I'm a big fan. I, I will tell you... Brian Westbury, who is um, an economist out there, he, he's always kind of an optimist. And, and, but I won't go ahead and put that out there, but I don't think that's a negative thing. I think if you're not a positive person in life, you're probably not much fun to hang out with. So Brian Westbury is probably a great guy to hang out with because he's always pretty positive about his outlook. And um, just to give you a little background on him so you don't think I just pulled out some flunky's name, who had some positive things to say about the economy. Let me tell you a little bit about Brian. Brian was honored in 2004 by the USA Today as one of the top 10 economic forecasters in the United States. And he's ranked by the Wall Street Journal, or he was ranked by the Wall Street Journal, as the nation's number one U.S. economic forecaster in 2001. Do you all remember 2000, in 2000, 2001, 2002, we were in another bear market. So they, they actually, during the middle of a bear market, ranked... Um, Brian is one of the best forecasters in 2001 by the Wall Street Journal. He's a monthly contributor for the American Spectator magazine and serves as the magazine's economics editor. He's published regularly in the Wall Street Journal, and he's also a CNBC contributor. So this is not just some guy that I went out there and did a a Google search for positive news on the economy. Brian's actually got a pretty good um, background and understanding. And I will tell you, earlier this year, um, he came out with his forecast for the year. And, and I'm really surprised because I, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. Brian came out and his economic forecast was 15,000 points for the Dow Jones Industrial Average by the end of 2008. So you would think with him coming out with that forecast, I think he came out with that right at the beginning of January, you're probably thinking with, with our levels of where we've been right now, with, with the Dow Jones being down 7.6% for the quarter, he might be backing off that number, but this is actually what he said. He said, earlier this year, we set a target of 15000 on the Dow Jones Industrial Average for the end of 2008. At the time we made that forecast, the Dow was right around 12000 So we were essentially calling for an increase of 
We stand by that $15,000 point forecast despite continued market volatility and renewed economic pessimism following a decline in employment. And then he goes on to say, our economic forecasts are based upon fundamentals. To determine fair value for stocks, we take a capitalized profits approach. Um, in other words, what he basically says, I don't want to get into all the gobbledygook of getting into the numbers here, but um, he, he, they take the government forecasts, a very conservative forecast, as he calls it, because it's based upon corporate tax filings. And as he says, people don't usually overstate or they're not too optimistic on what they tell the government because, let's face it, most of us are trying to minimize our tax liabilities. So um, they're not usually falsely inflated. But I, I will tell you the only concern I have about that is can we keep the profits up? That's, that's my only editorial comment I'll put in there is I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if I completely agree that we can keep profits up, but let, let's go on and see what else that Brian has to say because he goes in a little deeper and even says, well, if you're a, pessim- a little more pessimistic, there, there's some, some other things out there for you too. This is the point. I put a, a star next to this. This is a great point. And by the way, this commentary by Brian came out yesterday, April 7, 2008. But this is the point I wanted to make. Relative to the price of gold, the stock market is down 75% from its 2000 peak and is back down to levels last seen in 1995. If gold accurately reflects the true extent of inflation in the economic pipeline, business sales will rise with the general price level potentially lifting profits as well. Now, y'all remember, I've talked about this in past shows when I talked about gold. Gold is a great, great predictor of inflation. It's not a, I, I don't think it's a great, and, and a lot of you are going to say, well, Brian, you know, I, I was going to say, I don't consider it a great individual investment because it, it, I think it's too speculative to a degree. And a lot of, you know, countries don't use gold as currency anymore. It's not tied, you know, you don't see, like, the dollar's not tied to it. That was changed uh, back around the, I think it was the Nixon um, or it was Lyndon Johnson. I, the, we, we broke the gold standard at that point back um, a number of years ago. But it is a great indicator of what's actually going on with inflation. And you see that with all the natural resources. When you go out to the gas pump, you can't help but notice we're at all-time highs. And that's primarily... I see that as because the dollar has devalued so much. The dollar is just, it's not worth a lot right now. Let's face it, on the global um, scale right now, we have really done a number on the value for the, the U.S. dollar. So this is the thing, is you always hear the rich get richer. Well, the reason the rich get richer is because um, they own assets. They own assets that... um you know, and, and that kind of protects you. It gives you a bit of insurance when you get into these inflationary times. Because what happens is, if, if a, as I've told you, the dollar has devalued so much, but yet the assets haven't devalued, the assets are still worth, I mean, when, on a global marketplace, um, a, a piece of real estate is, is not gone down just because the dollar has gone down. Now, it might have gone down just because the the real estate market is so bad right now, and we had such a, a a large supply out there. But if you think about actually getting into tangible assets, just because the dollar goes down in value doesn't mean they've gone down in value. And that's exactly what Brian Westbury is talking about. Is he's saying if you take into if you take that assumption as being true, meaning that assets are still worth as long as you're not talking about real estate and other things that have you know been impacted by economic things that are going on with supply and demand but if you just take in the fact that the the absolute the absolute value of assets and the dollar has gone down in value significantly 
those assets are still worth it. It's just they're not reflected in their current price because on the stock market, you know, trading prices are reflected in U.S. dollars. So if you think about that and the devaluation of the dollar and that what the value of those the assets of those companies are, we are really in a time where there might be some deals if you're looking at absolute value uh, in, in consideration for the U.S. dollars that's out there. So that, that's pretty incredible, and I haven't heard anybody put that perspective on it, and I think that's a, a really good insight. And, and might, there might be some opportunity where you're going to see outsized returns in the future just basically because of the, the, the devaluation of the dollar. Those assets are still worth a lot. It's inflation, pure and simple inflation. But he goes on and he says, but, so he's still thinking, just getting on, I don't want to skip a point, he still thinks there's a good chance we could end up at 15,000 points by the year. I think that's very optimistic. Hope he's right. Don't know if he's right, but I still think it's um, quite interesting. But he goes on and he says, but let's imagine that we're wrong about the economy. Hypothetically, let's say a recession started in late 2007 or very early this year. Even under those circumstances, stocks could rally considerably by year end. Take the 1990 to 91 recession. After stocks bottomed in the first half of the recession, they rallied about 25% in the following six months. Or take the 1981 to 82 recession. After bottoming in August of 1982, the stock market rallied about 40% over the next six months. Right on Brian Westbury. This is exactly what I've been talking about on why we kind of just hang out there. Even though your portfolios might be losing a little bit of value right now, I think that this is the key point that I've been telling you guys. And it's nice just to get an attaboy from another another advisor and an economist out there is that if you can weather this downward pain that we have now, when things pop, and that's what he's saying is when things pop on the, when things turn around, they happen very fast. As he put it, 90 to the 91 recession, after we hit the very bottom, they rallied 25% in six months. And the 81 to 82 recession, after bottoming out in August of 1982, they start, sharply rallied to 40% in the next six months. And I went ahead and told you guys from October of 2002 to November of 2002, in that first month uh, that the market recovered in that, that 2000, 2001, 2002 bear market, we made 15%. And from October of 2002 to October of 2003, that first 12 months of the recovery, we made 33%. So it ties in quite nicely to exactly what Brian is talking about here. So what's the key point? Hang in there. Make sure your asset allocation reflects well, you know, a healthy allocation to where you can weather the storm, and hopefully your numbers kind of look similar to what I expressed to you about what's going on with our client portfolios. And if you if you they're not, it's still not a bad time to go readjust your portfolio. Go look, you know, and one of the things I'll go ahead and throw this out there: iTunes only shows like my last four or five shows. We've been doing the Money Guy show for over two years now. You can go on MoneyGuy.com, and you can um, you can go pull up any of our shows. Now, the search function only works for really the last six shows because we added that option when we redesigned the website. But if you just scroll through, I've done quite a few shows on asset allocation. I think it's something that you might want to consider looking at. Um, Gosh, I can't believe we're already 23 minutes into this show, so I'm going to have to... um, be very quick. I, I've, I've gotten a, I've gotten some calls. Hang on, we'll pause one second because I have to go grab a book out of another office. So I'll be right back. Hang on, just take two seconds because I'll edit this part out. Okay, I'm back. I'm s- sorry about that. Should have been more prepared and had the book sitting next to me, but I actually had it in my office and not in the recording office. Um, I've been getting a lot of calls that have been kind of alarming to me. You guys have been um, approached by financial advisors and. Um, 
salesmen and other things trying to get you to invest in certain schemes. I call them schemes. That's right. Because I think that you need to be careful. Um, there, there's a book even that's out there. And, I, and I've gotten at least four emails from you guys that have been given this book. You've read the book. And it's very well written to the point it spins your head a little bit. There's a book by the name, um, by the title of Missed Fortune. I don't agree with it. Because let me tell you what this book does. Is this book is telling you that basically you should pull your money out of real estate and other assets like that and put it into life insurance. And and that troubles me because that's first of all let's let's talk about where this is wrong. You, you, when you when you go refinance and pull money out of your house to go invest. That's called leverage. Leverage is risk. You know, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, a healthy dose of using good debt to make you in a better situation, but leverage is still risk. And to get to the point where you're now taking an asset that, you know, a lot of people when they hit retirement, the thing I always hear is, man, I, I want to at least own my house outright so that no matter what happens at the end of the day, it's mine. Well, if you're doing these strategies where you're leveraging, what do you ever own? I always say, you know, the value of determining if you're a wealthy individual or not is your net worth statement. And what is net worth? Net worth is assets minus liabilities is your net worth. And if you are going out there and leveraging and buying into um, life insurance products or other investment products with, you know, debt, I think that's that could be very risky. Because what if you're wrong? What if things don't return what, what, what you've been promised? Because none of this stuff is guaranteed to the point that some of the, the, the examples are given in this book. I think some of the examples he uses, um, you know, 7% rates of returns on some of these insurance products, and I don't think most of them are paying that at this point. So be very careful. Plus, there's something called flexibility with your money. I always say when you buy a product, you ought to be able to get up and walk away from that product at any point in time and not be penalized or damaged just because you've had a change in your decision. Well, when you buy life insurance products as investments, you, you lose a lot of flexibility because they're not liquid investments. The first year, you don't build any cash value typically because it's going to pay commissions and other costs, and I, I just don't think it's the smartest thing. Plus, the common sense test. How many people have you heard Say, thank God I, I leveraged my house and invested in that insurance policy to make me rich. You don't hear it very often. That's because I don't think that's what most people do to, to become financially independent, is to go use debt and leverage on an asset to then go and buy a life insurance product. And, for, and let me take that a step further. It doesn't even have to be life insurance. If somebody, if you've got an advisor out there recommending that you refinance your house so that you can go invest that money in the stock market, I would, I would get up and walk away from that too. I mean, that, that, that person doesn't have your best interest at heart when they're trying to get you to leverage and use debt and other things that might not be as healthy just so they can add fees to their back pocket. That, that's not the way you want to do things. Now, before I start getting all these emails from all my, my listeners, uh, I want to make sure you also understand I'm not beating up on the insurance guys out there. And um, I'm a huge fan 
of insurance, if we're talking about life insurance to replace income. Uh, believe me, if something happened to me tomorrow, <laughs> my wife would be very sad, but, but financially we're set because I have millions of dollars of life insurance, term life insurance, and that's not what we're talking about here. Life insurance is a very important part of your financial independence plan, but I'm talking about using insurance as an investment plan, your only investment plan for building financial independence. That's what I have a problem with, not using insurance to replace income, to protect you from risk out there. That That's not what we're talking about. So make sure you keep that point in perspective when, when we're talking about insurance. It's not all the same. There, there is a difference in the type of insurances I'm talking about. And I always also, what do you think insurance companies are doing with your money? Are they buying other insurance products? If it's such a good idea for you to go build wealth by buying some of these insurance products, these annuities and universal life and all these other things that are supposed to go build you all this tremendous cash value, what are the, how are the insurance companies offering these assets to you? What are they doing with your money? You know what they're doing. They're going and they're buying stocks. They're buying bonds. They're doing diversified portfolios. Exactly what we've been talking about. So they're basically taking your money that you've given them, going and investing that just like I'm telling you to invest it. And then they're keeping where they're pay, saying, that, hey, we'll pay you the 6%. We'll pay you 5%. And then they're keeping the extra over the long term. Because they know, sure, there might be some uncertainty right now, but over the long term, they're going to make more money. And they're going to keep that money in their back pocket. So I'm saying, take out those commissions. Take out those extra fees and keep it all for yourself. And don't get caught, don't get caught up using some crazy leverage strategy that's written in a book. Just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's the perfect thing for you. So I hope that's clear. But I, I want to just say, I've been hearing about this too much. If anybody wants you to go leverage your house, to go invest in the stock market, insurance products, or anything else, it just doesn't pass the smell test. I, I just don't think it's a good idea. The other thing is that these trading schemes, you see these, um, you wake up at 3 in the morning, you turn on the TV, and there's people you know, trying to sell you software. They'll help you become a stock trader. If, if their product, once again, the smell test, if their product was so good, why would they share it? If I could come up with a piece of software that would guarantee me you know, or, or, or at least promise me that the majority of the time that it's going to make me money, I wouldn't share it with anybody. I'd be over there stockpiling that money. I'd be putting it over in the corner, and before you knew it, Bill Gates would be jealous of the wealth I'd have. It, the thing is, you don't hear about that because it doesn't work like that. You're taking irrational, emotional, short-term movements and trying to put some type of personality to it or... or something fundamental about it, and it's not. It's irrational. So I tell you to be careful about that because they've obviously found out that it's much more profitable to sell the software to you, John Q. Public, than it is to actually use that, implement that software, and make money for themselves. It doesn't pass the smell test. So I tell you to be careful. There's a lot of snakes, a lot of sharks that you have to make it through to get to cut through to get good advice. Wealth doesn't come quick. It doesn't come easy. You just have to be disciplined, use time, defer gratification reasonably. I want you to have a good time out there. And before you know it, you're going to be fine. But I hope that that, that, that helps you guys out because I know a lot of you 
Um, sometimes the worst times bring out the worst type of people, and, and I'm always surprised to hear that, but I want you to make the right decision. So I hope the show has helped you out today. I'm the host for the Money Guy Show, Brian Preston. If you want to go check out our website, it's moneyguy.com. You can write me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguy.net. I'll talk to you in about a week. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.